Good morning, everyone. I don't want to trip on this court here. Hey, um, I mentioned last week we have to take care of a little bit of business. Um, part of, uh, we mentioned that there's a church in Mooresville that has asked Grace Covenant to kind of take them under their umbrella. And so it's, it's actually a legal, um, formal property transition, which our bylaws require us to take a vote. There's no money changing hands. We're acquiring 12 acres, three buildings on this property, um, right on River Highway 150, uh, exit 36, um, very, very high profile area. Um, and so, but, so we're, because there's no money transacted, we consider this to be kind of like a, an easy decision. Um, but we need to make a formality. So I'm just going to ask um, all those in favor of proceeding with this um, acquisition of this property, if you would say aye. aye. Anybody opposed? Whew. It's funny, you kind of assume, but you always wonder, is there that one person just to be obstinate that's going to say, yeah, I'm going to object. So, but okay, let the, let the minutes reflect that it was a unanimous vote. So, um, all right, good. Now get that out of the way. Um, and I know Kate mentioned the, um, you know, the, the meal afterwards. Um, and if, if by chance you didn't sign up, I mean, please stay. There's always, always, always more than enough. And, um. It really smells good, so I'll talk fast. Um, so we. <laughs> so um, within the field of um, social science, there is an accepted truth about people, and that's this: a person will behave differently when they're in the group than if they were by themselves. And there's a number of fascinating studies that, that are out there to, to uh, prove the point. One of them is, is what's known as the Abilene Paradox. Any of you heard of that? Good, because if you had, you would ruin my story. So, uh, um, <clears throat> so the Abilene Paradox is actually a true story. So this actually happened. And the setting for this is actually, there's four adults. Um, uh, a mom and a dad, their, their adult daughter and her husband. Um, so the son-in-law, so the four of them are sitting out on the porch playing dominoes um, on a, a Sunday, or maybe on a Saturday morning. But it's, it's, it's in Texas, it's in the middle of July, so it is incredibly hot and it's humid, it's miserable, um, just as far as the weather. And they don't have air conditioning, that's why they're out on the porch, just where there's any kind of air circulation. While well, they're playing dominoes, the father says, just to kind of... You know, you know, change things up a bit. Hey, why don't we drive to Abilene for lunch? And, you know, and so the, you know, so the one, I think it was the son-in-law, well, said, well, okay, okay, well, I'll go if mom wants to go. The mom, well, the mom then says, well, if you guys want to go, okay, well, I'll go. And then the daughter, you know, chips, okay, let's, let's all go. So they drive. Now, Abilene is 53 miles one way in a car that has no air conditioning. And so they drive there, um, and they drive back. So four hours, and 106 miles later, they get back at home, and they begin to talk about the morning and the trip and lunch, and they discover that um, none of them enjoyed it, that it was a miserable experience. In fact, here's the thing, <clears throat> none of them wanted to go to Abilene in the first place. Every one of them said, I, I didn't want to go. I really just, I was really going to be happy just to stay here. I didn't want to go. 
The father said, I just did it because I just thought, let's do something. I just wanted to change the pace. And I was hoping you would say, no, let's not. But, you know, and the, the, the mom thought that the two, the husband and the son-in-law wanted to go. So she didn't want to be the one to say no. So she said yes. And so no one wanted to voice opposition for fear of disappointing the others. And because they thought the others wanted to go, that they also went along for the ride, literally. So the lesson there is that, is, and this has been true, proven out, not just in this story, but in, within group dynamics over and over again, a group will take an action contrary to the desires of all the members in the group. It happens a lot. No one wants to do it as an individual, but as a group, they still do it and they go forward. Now, what makes the Abilene Paradox unique is that it's, really, it's based on a true story. Um, it really did happen. Um, the fact is that the stories that are even made up ones have been used since almost the beginning of time to communicate different truths. The realities are things about what it means to be human and how we interact and relate with one another. So, do you know what the most common form of stories like this is? Parable. A parable. Okay? And a parable is just simply, it's just a simple story told to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. That's what a parable is. <clears throat> so, you know, who's the most famous person who used to use parables to teach lessons? Yeah, if, if, that's what, if ever in doubt, just say Jesus. It's usually the right answer <laughs> um, within churches. <clears throat> um, even Google affirms Jesus is the most prominent user of parables. If you just say parables, uh, you know, whatever, it comes up. Hit after hit after hit, parables of Jesus, Jesus and his parables or whatever. So it's, it's there. Jesus did use parables a lot. In fact, there's more than 30 different occasions where he used a parable, a story to communicate a truth. Well, today we're in week two of a three-week series where we're looking at one of these parables that Jesus talked about. This one, if you look in your Bible, if your Bible has headings, it, it may say parable of the bags of gold. It used to be, in some of the earlier transition, referred to as the parable of the talents. <clears throat> and uh, um, we've broken this parable into three parts, and we looked at the first part last week. We're looking at one today, and we'll finish up then again uh, next week. But in order to put everyone on the same page, let me read the first portion um, from last uh, week. Julie, can you toss me my water there? And you could have tossed it, really, so... <laughs> I don't know if it's the changing weather, but I'm sucking on cough drops like nobody's business, and through gets so I apologize. Let me let me read the passage we looked at last week because it, it sets up the stage for what we're looking at this week and will bring us all on the same page. <clears throat> so we're in Matthew 25, and uh, start with verse 14. You can look in your Bible, your favorite app, whatever you use, or follow along the screen. So again, it, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his <clears throat> master's money. 
So last week we learned, um, we brought up this, the, the, a bag of gold. It doesn't specify the amount. The other verse says a talent. A talent is what um, 20 years worth. So take the average day labor, what they made in a day, over the course of 20 years. That's what that was. And so using the minimum wage here in North Carolina as a frame of reference, one bag would have been about $300,000 Two bags would have been 600000 and five bags would have been about $1.5 million is what he gave his servants to, to use. So while the amounts varied significantly from one servant to the other, each of them was substantial. So it's not as if one talent was like, ah, who cares? It's, it's, no, it was substantial. It was still significant within the story. And we talked about the opportunities that God gives us. And we mentioned the fact that God wants to do more in your life than through it. We know God wants to work through us, but God is always about changing you and transforming you into the image of his son, Jesus. And then we also discuss the fact that sometimes God's greatest blessings are often disguised as inconveniences and interruptions. But if we can get through that, and we can have an amazing experience. Well, the story picks up today, and we're going to start with verse 19. So after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man, who had with, or the man with two bags of gold also came, and he said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. <clears throat> Come and share your master's happiness. Now, I'm going to pause here. The story does continue. We'll finish up next week um, with the rest of the parable. But I just want to pray and just commit the rest of our time to the Lord. Um, so if you would, just join me. <clears throat> Father, I thank you again for this passage. And um, Lord, as I've read through it and just prepared for this time, I've asked for wisdom and discernment uh, to know what to say and how to say it. And Lord, I just pray in the next few minutes, you'll help me to communicate well. That your Holy Spirit would also help each of us, Lord, to hear what we need to hear. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, one of the things I shared last week as well is that we need to remember the context for this parable. This isn't just kind of a random thing, Jesus sitting by the fire telling a story. This parable comes um, in a time of Jesus' life. where it's, it's very soon before he's actually arrested and crucified and he's dead. And so <clears throat> Jesus knows he has very little time on earth. And so he's, this, this is really, and, and we mentioned the fact that People who know that they don't have much time, they don't waste their time on frivolous conversations. You know, hey, how's the weather? You know, what are you going to have for lunch tomorrow? Um, you know, the, you talk about serious things that matter and are substantial. And so Jesus was doing this. In fact, in this moment, this parable we read, actually in this chapter, there's three st stories told back to back to back. And each one of them the, talks about the fact that your future is going to be uncertain. Um, and Jesus knew that in that time period, there's things that were going to happen that just their, their future was, you know, it wasn't known. There were going to be hardships and challenges. And, but he also said, you need to be ready for my return. You need to be ready. <clears throat> and so all three of those parables 
conveyed this idea. And here's the thing that we need to remember within all this is that the call of Jesus is not an intellectual exercise. It's not just a mental type of thing. It's not just that we need to think the right things or believe the right things. It's not just something that we do in our head. The call of Jesus is to a transformed life. It's one that not only thinks the right things, but also does the things that Jesus did. And then within this parable, Jesus was delegating to his followers responsibility to care for his kingdom. It's on you now. He says, I'm going to be leaving. It's on you. Now, this parable impresses on them the weight of that responsibility and the serious consequences of neglecting to carry out his instructions. He wasn't fooling around. This was serious business, literally. So here's the thing. The message that Jesus was conveying wasn't just to his followers 2,000 years ago. It's relevant to us today just as much, 2000, more than 2,000 years later. Now, the response of the master in the story gives us some clues about the overall message that Jesus was trying to convey. <coughs> to both of the men, the master, he said exactly the same thing. Did you notice that? It was word for word, the same response, identical. Now, within the, the response, there's three thoughts, three separate thoughts that were conveyed. And the first thought, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. I've heard a lot of sermons about those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Notice that his attention was on the behavior of the servant and not about the amount of money earned. Now, he didn't say, I made more money. You know, wait a, you know, it was, it had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with the funds. It had everything to do with the behavior of the servant. Not once did that master acknowledge the money. You know, when our, uh, our kids were growing up, I, uh, I made it a point to never say, I'm proud of you for an award or recognition, okay? Now, to be clear, I said I'm proud of you a lot for a lot of different reasons, but just not that. Um, if they won an award or if they recognized for something, some achievement, I would say, I would celebrate with them. I'd be happy with them. I'd say, that's great. Way to go. You know, you know I'm really happy for you. But I didn't want to say I'm proud of you in that context because I didn't want them to associate my pride with them with achievements. Because here we all know the fact is we don't always achieve what we set out to achieve, do we? And I didn't want them to, put, to associate the two. So I saved I'm proud of you for times when they did things right. So if they got an A on a paper, I would say I'm proud of you for being willing to put in the time to earn that grade. You know, and even when the outcome wasn't good, um, which with kids happens often. I, I, I know both my boys are, are Eagle Scouts, and uh, so back in the early days of Cub Scouts, some of you remember Pinewood Derby? You have the little pine box that you whittle and make into a car, and we have, both of my sons still have them on their shelves. I mean, they're, you know, 30, you know, you keep those things, and... Um, we never did well. We always were, it was so embarrassing, you know, it's like, because it always comes back to the dad, you know, and uh, some of those cars, you can tell, you know, they were manufactured, you know, and they went through wind tunnel testing. I mean, they, it was, 
I mean, it was crazy. The kid never touched that car. You know, the kid's supposed to do it. But anyway, my, my kids, we had fun. But even on the drive home, I would say to them, you worked really hard on that car. I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of you doing it. And so I, would, I, wanted to, I wanted them to know that when they did the right things, that's what generated my pride. And, and there were many, many instances where I would convey that thought, but it was to reinforce behaviors. <clears throat> and that's what I think is going on here in this story. The fact that both the servants doubled his money wasn't the source of his pleasure. The master was pleased that these two servants made the attempt. They made the attempt. They did something. They tried. Now, from this, I think we can understand that God desires and blesses faithfulness. This idea isn't only in this story. In fact, the faithfulness is a highly valued attribute we see in other parts of the Bible. In Proverbs 20, verse 28, it says, A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will, go, will not go unpunished. In Psalm 101, verse 6, it says, My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. The idea of doing what is right, of being faithful to the life that God has called you to, is an expectation on all those who follow Jesus. God desires and blesses faithfulness. <clears throat> the second thought we see in response from the master are the words, you have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Now, in the passage we looked at from last week, the master gave each ser servant his amount, each according to his ability. Now, we're not told what that meant, you know, but we can infer, we can assume that it has to do with their skill and maybe maturity as a servant. That there was something about them that you know, they had capacity to do something. Or do, do, you know, so there was the potential there. Have you ever um, aspired for something? Something you wanted to do, something you, a goal you wanted to achieve, or maybe a job, or maybe some group you want to be a part of, and you were told, no, you're not good enough. You're not fast enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have the ability, or whatever the reasons were, the, the response was, we don't think you have what it takes. Ever had that said to you? It's a terrible feeling. I mean, at best, it's demoralizing. At worst, it's emotionally crippling. And it sends us on this spiral, downward spiral that can, can really leave a long time for us to recover, if, if ever. Can I suggest that actually the opposite is just as bad? Have you ever been made responsible for something you weren't ready for? Years, a few years ago, I was asked to teach um, an eight-week college course and for a subject I'd never taught before. And so I said, you know, okay. I mean, I was, I was at a point where I was, I was looking for that kind of an opportunity. And so I asked him, I said, when does the class start? And there's this little pause. And he says, yeah, we're kind of in a bind here. Um, tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a terrible feeling going into a situation unprepared. Now, I made the most of the situation, and, you know, the students, it was a smaller class. We were able to catch up and get up to speed pretty quick, you know, so things worked out. But that feeling of walking in when you know you're not ready, you know you're not prepared, you know, you know you're not up to the task. 
at least in that moment, it's a terrible feeling. Now in this parable, the master knew the capacity of the servants. He didn't give them too much, nor did he give them too little. He gave them what they were capable of doing. He gave them an opportunity that was challenging, but he also gave them an opportunity to grow. There was a challenge there. I think from this, we can understand that God rewards faithfulness today with greater opportunity tomorrow. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. I think God does that with us today as well. The final thought we see in the response from the master, come and share your master's happiness. Literally, he was, it means enter into the joy of your master. I love that. Essentially, what he's saying is, you make me so very happy. I am so proud of you. That's what he was saying. Um, yesterday, I went and uh, hung out with Shauna and uh, the people that, that uh, she worked with, her team, at, uh, where they give out the first and third Saturdays of the month, those Saturday mornings, they give out food at an apartment complex. Uh, and both of them are in Mooresville. And uh, this particular one, 80, 85 units. Um, and so they set up out there. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, for me, it was just fun observing them interact, the team. Um, there was 12 people there as part of it. And watching them interact together, just the team dynamics there were really, really fun. But then watching them interact with primarily kids who were coming, but also with the adults that came as well periodically. And um, now, actually, I took a picture of... Uh, Shauna, actually, at the end of it, she didn't know I was doing this, but she'd taken this little report, that she, and then she put it up on the, we got it? Okay. Ah, it's crooked. Well, anyways, what, <laughs> what it is, that, um, so the list, I know you can't read because of distance as well, but it says meals made, meals given, um, sweets given, Bibles given, devotionals given, prayer requests, communion, Busy bee bags, adult food bags, hygiene bags, kid food bags, specials, and then volunteers. And there's 12 of us that are there. They made 80 meals. They gave out 80 meals that day. Um, they had a, a, um, they have like three or four different kinds of Bibles. You know, kids' versions, adult versions, large print editions, um, Spanish they had a Spanish one there as well. And so there was there to, if you wanted, you needed a Bible, you could take it. No questions asked, take a Bible. Um, they had different devotional books out there as well. So different, you know, Bible studies they might be a part of. There's half a dozen different things out there they could pick from. And they have different things. But they also had um, some communion elements. And um, so what was interesting for me is uh, that idea of communion. And what happened, um, there were two boys you know, maybe 10, 12, I'm guessing they were going through. Um, and they're, um, do we have that picture, Erica? <laughs> All right. How does that happen? But on my thing, it actually looks normal. So how does it? Okay, anyway. <clears throat> I took it nor- I took it that way. I didn't take it sideways. I took That's it. What I'm saying. You need to take it sideways. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, who knew? Pictures in, pictures okay. Okay. 
Well, I apologize for the, for, and Rachel, I didn't have you there to help me uh, take the pictures correctly. So, uh, um, yeah, lesson learned. Um, so let me explain to you what, if you turn your head cockeyed here, you can kind of see. But uh, those are two boys. So Sean is with the two boys. And so they're going through the line grabbing stuff, and they you know, kind of grab kind of like a handful, because they're those cups, you know, the, the cups and so kind of that, and then they're just going to you know, keep going. And I don't know if they were just going to put them in their pockets or they're just walking away, but Shauna says, you can't just take them and go. And you know, they're kind of like, and she'd been going back and forth with these guys, and they've been you know, yucking it up, and you know, so they, they, they knew each other really well. Um, and uh, so there's this repartee going back and forth, and... I was like, well, what are they? You know, the kids, like, they didn't even know that these were communion cups. And she said, well, they're communion cups. And then she said, would you like to take communion with me together? And, uh, you know, I said, okay. And <clears throat> so she got to tell them about what communion is and what it's about and why it matters and why it's significant. And she led them through the communion process, and then she prayed with them. Um, and then it took communion, and... They didn't like the taste, and they left up. But, but they were boys, you know, that's kind of what you expected. But <clears throat> it was a really cool thing to observe, um, just kind of stand off on the side and watch. The, and in that moment, I was just so very proud of Shauna, because uh, this is her team. <clears throat> oh, thank you. There we go. So um, just, just for her leadership. Because um, this is her team. This is her. She leads this group that meets the first third. The third week, they actually meet at a different apartment complex, and someone else leads that group. So, but this is Shauna's. Um, so just her leadership for that, her servant's heart um, there was just, it was one of those moments that I know God's looking down and saying, enter into the joy of your master. God is just saying, that is just so cool. And uh, I think to be a part of that was just really fun. <clears throat> I think from this statement that he made, enter into the joy of your master, we can learn that faithfulness positions you for eternal reward. I have little doubt that Jesus was trying to convey that your actions in this life will directly affect your next life. What you do today affects how, uh, your eternity. How you live your life in your marriage, with your family, at your job, in the community, how you live your life matters. Now, I've heard it said that life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. How you live your life is a big deal. But it's not complicated. It really isn't. Be faithful where you are in whatever season you find yourself. You don't need to go searching for opportunities. You don't need to go looking for, I mean, they, they present themselves. And so what you, need, you should be doing is at the beginning of each day, you know, whether you're brushing your teeth or you're driving or you sit at the front end of your day, you pray. And you say, God, help me to recognize those moments that I need to engage today. You don't have to worry about next week, you know, next month, next year. Just what is it today? And then just pay attention to the things that happen and the things that you're aware of and the things you see and observe and then step into those situations that present themselves. Know that no assignment is insignificant to God. Here's the thing. We don't know the outcome of any of these engagements. 
You know, we don't. We don't know what will happen. We don't know how we might have changed someone's life simply because we changed their perspective about something. Nothing is insignificant. And I, you've, I think you've heard me share this in the past, but <clears throat> within church life, some of my favorite heroes are the people who work in the nursery and um, people who work in the, the audio sound booth area. You know, because in the nursery... I mean, you're changing diapers and screaming kids, and, and there, especially when it's not your kid. You know, you're dealing with someone else's kid. There's not much reward in that. Um, however, because you're willing to do that, a single mom, parents now have an opportunity to sit in a service where they can be encountered by the Holy Spirit, which could change the, the destiny of their whole family because you were willing to sit with an infant for an hour. For sound people in the sound booth, hang on, buddy, I'm almost done. <clears throat> He's like, come on, hurry up. Um, <laughs> it's almost lunchtime. For people in the sound booth, a good day for them, no one knows they're here. You know? And so if, if the only time you know that there's someone back there is when something's not working right and uh, when the pictures are sideways. And... <laughs> Makes them, it's actually my fault. But, but see, that's the thing. But because they're willing to do that, because they're willing and actually aspire for anonymity, it creates an environment for all of us to engage in worship, to hear, to, to talk to one another in a way that allows us to encounter meaningful relationship with one another, but also an encounter with God. No assignment is insignificant to God. And I think, lastly, being faithful in the little things is a big thing. What you do matters. I like uh, Pastor Mark Batterson. He's written a number of books some of you are familiar with. He said, if you do little things like they are big things, God will do big things like they are little. <clears throat> it's not on us. It's, uh, it's up to us to be faithful. It's up to us to be obedient and step into those situations that are presented. God worries himself with the outcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, again, I'm just very grateful for all that you're doing in our lives. And I'm grateful for this parable, this story that um, you told your followers 2,000 years ago. And yet, even today, there's so much application for us because we desire to follow you. We desire to be obedient to you. We desire to be transformed by you. And with, with that comes, certainly it comes with the idea of having a faith of substance, a faith of meaning. But Lord, there's also an expectation that with that faith, with that gift, with that assurance of our salvation comes a responsibility to live and do the things that Jesus did. And Father, that's something that is not as easy uh, because it quite often requires us to do things and takes up time and um, to be interrupted from our normal routines and schedules. And yet, Lord, it's those things that, in your mind, Lord, they matter most because they involve other people. So, Father, I, my prayer is for those of us here today who might be struggling with just feeling uh, insignificant, Lord, I just pray that you would allow them, even this day, and if not this day, that this week, there would be a significant conversation that they would be a part of that would just affirm in them, Lord God, your love and your need for them. 
And Father, for those who might be feeling um, guilty because they're not uh, engaged, maybe they like the way they think they should, um, Father, may they also then be free uh, from, that, from that guilt because, Lord, that's not of you. But Lord, there's also this sense of being challenged that maybe it is time to step out and to do something. On a, on, but Lord, that, that would be clear, that there would never have to be any of this wondering, but there would be a clarity about what that means. And um, Again, Father, we're, we're here this morning, not as a people who have it all figured out. None of us here, Lord God, have our act together. All of us are faulty. All of us have shortcomings, but we're still here. And we say, Lord, use us. Lord, do in us what you desire to do. Lord, do through us what you desire to do as well. May we be a people that you look down on with a great big smile and say, enter in to the joy of your master. Uh, For Lord, it's about you. It's not about us. It's about you and about what you desire. And it's the name of your son, Jesus, I pray all these things.